So, uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. Um, <clears throat> I am in, where am I? Mariana, Florida. I'm actually in Florida and uh, in about uh, an hour. Just uh, shortly after the class, I'm driving to Tallahassee. Florida, where we'll have a little program there and also broadcast that on, uh, I think that'll, I'll do that on Facebook, perhaps. And then uh, after that program today, I'll be driving into Gainesville, Florida. So finally reaching my destination, Gainesville, hopefully, Krishna willing, um, this afternoon. And I'll stop on the way into Gainesville to see the deities in Alachua. <clears throat> so... Um, today, um, there, a hotel bed is there in the picture. I just removed it from the picture. Sorry, can't totally control here the, <laughs> the visual environment. So, let's go to the Bhagavatam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, <clears throat> today we begin with uh, Bhagavatam 1.10.6. First Canto, Chapter 10, Verse 6. Nadayo Vyadaya Klesha Daiva Bhutatmahitavaham Ajata Shatrava Bhavan Jandunang Rajnikarichit. So, uh, the first, um, this verse is saying that na, not, adaya, adaya means mental suffering, anxieties, and vyadaya means physical problems. You have mental and physical distress. So, na, uh, na abhavan. And then at the uh, last word in the third line, abhavan, there were not. That's the, there were not uh, mental problems or suffering or physical problems. And actually, kleshaha, klesha, Prabhupada translates it due to excessive heat and cold. Uh, so I want to give you this word klesha because that's what there wasn't. And also because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that one should not give up one's duty fearing bodily klesha. So klesha means pain, affliction, dis <coughs> distress. Uh, so pain, affliction, distress, that's the uh, root meaning. Pain from disease, anguish, in other words, anxiety. So Prabhupada says, translates it here as trouble due to excessive heat and cold. But all these mental and physical problems, na abhavan, did not occur, did not exist. Uh, and these troubles, hetavaha, is the plural of hetu, the cause. So the causes of these troubles are daiva, bhuta, atma. These are the famous threefold miseries. Daiva means from providence or higher powers or fate or destiny. 
uh, daiva from the word deva, God, so from divine providence, bhuta from other living entities, or atma from oneself. Sometimes we inflict suffering on ourselves. So the Bhagavatam here says that none of these three miseries were there, not coming from divine providence, not from other living entities, not from oneself, caused by hitava. There were no kleshas, there were no troubles caused by these three things, no mental or physical problems, and these things did not occur, occur ajata shatrao rajni. Those two words are not next to each other, but they go together. When ajata shatru, Yudhisthira, whose enemy was never born, when he was king. That is just a grammatical form in Sanskrit called the uh, locket of absolute, but we won't worry about that. And it means when something was the case. Uh, so, Ajata Shatra, Raji, when Ajata Shatru was king, these things did not occur, occur, Karichit at all, at any time, Jantunang for the people. So, Sanskrit word order is, uh, a little different than English, but that's what it means. When Ajata Shatru was king, uh, there was never uh, any mental or physical troubles, troubles caused by providence, by other living beings, by oneself. Uh, these things did not occur for the people when Ajata Shatru was the king. So uh, that's that first verse. So it's a, it's a golden age. It's a great time. And uh, after the, the horrors of Kurukshetra, you have this golden age. So Ushitwa, Hastanapure. Ushitwa means having dwelled. Prabhupada says staying. So Ushitwa, Hastanapure, Masan, Katipayan, Hari. So Hari, after having dwelled or stayed in Hastanapura uh, for a few months, which that's how Prabhupada translates it, a few months. Katipaya means a few. So Masan, Masa's month. Masan Katipayan Hari Suridangcha Vishokaya. And he stayed there. Shoka means lamentation. It's like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Ma Shuchaha. So that shoots, this is the same root, Shoka. Shoka is lament. So Vishoka means uh, without lamentation or to remove their lamentation. So to remove the grief, the lamentation, Suridang, of his dear ones, Suridang Chavishokaya, Prabhupada translates Suridang as relative. Surit literally means good heart. Hrit is heart and Su is good. So those to whom we are good hearted or we have special affection or relationship, or it's often translated Surit, well wishing friend. Krishna says in the Gita, Suridang Sarvabhutana, one who knows me as the Surit, literally is having a good heart toward all living beings. Uh, Suridang Sarvabhutana, Gyatwa, knowing this, Mang Shanti Mrichati, one achieves, uh, knowing this about me, one achieves peace. So Krishna having a good heart or to take away the grief of those who are literally good-hearted toward him. In other words, his intimate friends and relatives, to remove their grief, vishokaya, swasu chapriya kamiya, and uh, with a desire to please, kamya, with a desire, priya, to give pleasure to his sister, swasus. And so that's subhadra. 
so Krishna has a, a special loving relationship with his sister, his younger sister, which is, you could say, very normal and natural in this world. And Krishna is displaying that. And therefore, it also explains why he had such a special relationship with Subhadra's son, Abhimanyu. So, um, so, so this is not a complete Sanskrit sentence. It's, it's, it's given as a separate verse, uh, but uh, it, it's, it has basically, it's a dependent clause. Having dwelled in Hastinapur, Hari, for some months, in order to take away the grief of his dear friends and with the desire to please his sister. So just as in English, so in Sanskrit, not yet a complete sentence. So let's see if the sentence is completed. The next verse. Yes. We finally get an independent clause in the next verse. So having done that, and having taken his leave, amantriya means sort of taking your leave. Like uh, it's sort of an elegant cultural thing. We say to take your leave. In other words, the your host gives you permission to leave. Good manners. So you say, I think I have to go now. And then if the host says, no, you can't go. It's like, you know, you have to negotiate that. But so amantriya means taking leave. So asking, you know, taking permission to leave. Chabyanugyata and being permitted. So he told the Pandavas, please give me your, please give me your permission. Uh, I have to go now. And they said, yes, of course. So that's what that is. Amantriya Chabyanugyata. And he took leave of Yudhisthira, who's, of course, the king. And so Parishwaja, embracing uh, Yudhisthira, having embraced Yudhisthira, and saluting him. Prabhupada translates Abhivadya as bowing down at the feet. Um... This verb, uh, abhivad, literally means to address or salute with reverence, uh, to declare with reference to it. So, um, so abhivad, to, to address or salute respectfully. So uh, Prabhupada translates this as bowing down at the feet, which it can be. Literally, it means uh, saluting offering respect, and uh, Prabhupada takes this to mean bowing down. So, having done that, embracing him, Tom, him, embracing him, and uh, honoring him, saluting him, then, and this completes the sentence, uh, Krishna Aruroha, he ascended, he got up onto his chariot. Because the chariot's higher, so you get up onto the chariot. Aruroha Ratang. Then Kaischit, by some people. Uh, Kaischit means by some people. It's actually plural. Parishakto, uh, he was embraced. And Abhivadita, he was uh, saluted. So Abhivadita means the same respect that Krishna offered to Yudhisthira. Some other people offered that to him. And just as 
uh, he embraced Yudhisthira, so others embraced him. So it's very nice reciprocation. Krishna is doing this to Yudhisthira, these two acts, and then other people are doing that to him. So it's a very intimate, loving, reciprocal atmosphere there. So that's that verse. Then Subhadra, now we have a list of people who are really feeling separation from Krishna. Subhadra, Draupadi, Kunti, Virata Tanaya, the daughter of King Virata, who, of course, is uh, Uttara, Uttara, the, the widow of Abhimanyu. She's the daughter, Tanaya, the daughter of Virata. Virata Tanaya Tata, Gandhari, Dhritarashtrascha, Yutsur, who is um, one of the sons of Dhritarashtra, the only good one who fought for the Pandavas. Gautamo Yamo. Gautama is um, Kripa Acharya, whose uh, father was, uh, he was born in that line, from Brahminical line. And then Yamo, the twins, uh, Sahadeva and Nakula, Brikodaras, Bhima, Shadomya, Domya is the priest of the Pandavas. Striyo, the ladies, Matsya Sutadaya, headed by the daughter of Matsya. So this is interesting because Matsya is the great grandmother of the Pandavas, and she's still there. I mean, not impossible. They're great. I mean, you know, some people have great grandmothers because uh, Matsya, I'm sorry, not Matsya, uh, uh, Matsya Sutta, the... Um, Satyavati. Satyavati's son is Vyas, uh, who then begot Dhritarashtra, Pandu, and uh, Vidura in the womb of the widows of Ichitravirya. So in that sense, Pandu is her grandson, uh, but also in the sense that her her son is uh, Vichitravirya, who legally by Dharma was the father of Pandu. So, um, what's interesting here is that she's the great grandmother. She's still there. She has survived all this time. And, uh, so her son again is Vyas or Vichitravirya. Her grandson is Pandu and Dhritarashtra. Uh, her great-grandson, their great-grandsons are the Pandavas and the Kurus headed by Duryodhana. Those are all her great-grandsons. So that, and, uh, and of course, Bhishma is her, uh, stepson. Bhishma is her stepson because she married Shantanu. So these are all very intimate connections. So all these people, all these people, Nasehide literally means they couldn't tolerate it. Uh, Nasehide, uh, could not, so Prabhupada translates it, could not tolerate. They were bewildered, they were confused, they were, it's interesting because this is actually a, 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 a verb, participle, saying that they were being, they were in the state of being confused. So it's not just a, like one state, like they were confused, but in Sanskrit it actually means like they were being confused, they were it's going on over time. It's not like it's just one fixed state. They're being confused, bewildered. It's 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 a continuous action. So what they could not tolerate, they could not tolerate virahang, separation 
saranga danvanaha from Krishna who carries a saranga bow. So these are very personal, I mean, supremely personal, supremely intimate, ecstatic activities that go on between Lord Krishna and his pure devotees. Spiritual life is so personal, and yet it's pure. There's no material emotion. There's no material anxiety. These are pure spiritual emotions. I will do one more verse and see if anyone has any questions. Today's a travel day for me, so I don't intend it to be a very long class. So satsangad mukta duksango hatum notsahadevudaha kirtyamanam jisho jasya sakrida karnyarochanam. So uh this means satsangat by good association or by spiritual association, satsangat, mukta duksango, one is freed, mukta, freed from bad association. So from good association, one is freed from bad association. Very simple, but very crucial point in Krishna consciousness. And a person who has been freed of bad association by good association, note sahate, uh, cannot bear hatum, to give up uh, the glories of Krishna as they are being described, as they are being chanted. Kirtyamanam. This is, uh, you know, the word kirtana, glorifying Krishna. So this is kirtyamanam. As Krishna's glories are being recited, as they are being proclaimed, uh, Buddha, an intelligent person, who has become free of bad association by good association cannot bear to give up hearing those glories, Sakrita Karnya, having once heard them. Sakrit Akarnya. Sakrit means once. Having heard them because they wrote them, they're so appealing, so attractive. So basically, that's what happened to us. That's how we were hooked, so to speak that at some point in our life, we heard something about Krishna and we haven't stopped yet. We're still going. So satsangan mukta duksango hatum notsahate buddha. This is an intelligent person, an intelligent person, having once heard the glories of Krishna, uh, cannot give them up because they're so attractive. Kirtyamanam jisho jasya sakrita karnyarochanam. And then tasmin nyesta dhyak partha. Hmm. Saheran virahang katam. So here's a rhetorical question. The parthas, in other words, the pandavas, uh, the pandavas, nyesta dhyak tasmin, having given their consciousness to him. Now the word nyesta is if you just add a little prefix, sum, it becomes sannyasa or sannyasta here in the uh, past passive participle. So, uh, niasa or niasa, uh, niasta means they've given over. They, they, their consciousness, they devoted their consciousness. They simply surrendered their consciousness to him, the partas. And so that being the case, the, the rhetorical question, Sahedan Virahankatam, how could they tolerate separation? 
katang, how, sahiran, could they tolerate? It's the, uh, anyway, optative form of the verb, if you study Sanskrit. So katam sahiran, how could they tolerate vidaham, separation? And darshana, sparsha, sanglapa, shayanasana, bhojanai. Uh, and these, so these are all the things that they did with Krishna, darshana. They were seeing him, sparsha, they were touching him, you know, embracing or shaking hands or, or wrestling, whatever. So they were seeing him, they were touching him, sanglapa. Uh, they were conversing with him. Prabhupada actually translates this conversing. And, uh, try to give you a, you know, sort of the dictionary says about sanglapa. Because I think there's a little more there also, which which applies. Sangla, yes. So sanglapa literally means talking together, familiar or friendly conversation. So it's not merely conversation; it's friendly conversation. Uh, so, in other words, you could translate that intimate talks with Krishna, intimate conversations, joking, familiar or friendly conversation. That's why I wanted to go to the dictionary there. So Darshana Sparsha Sanglapa Shayana, lying down. They would, you know, they would camp out together or they would, they were often traveling and they, you know, when you have a good friend and you go to sleep at night and you're lying, imagine under the stars or perhaps in a palace, you just talk. That's what friends do when they, if they're staying in the same room, you know, when they are same area and they lie down to go to sleep and they talk, they talk to each other. Because when you lie down after all the passion and the activity of the day and you lie down and you relax and that's when, even if you're alone, sometimes you just think about things because your body is relaxing and there's nothing else to do and you finally get a peaceful moment to think about things. And if you have an intimate friend with you, then you kind of talk about intimate things because you're lying there relaxed, you know, maybe under the stars, maybe in a, some other location. So that is shayana, lying together, asana, sitting together, bhojanahi, and 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 taking meals together. So these are all the things that close associates do. They see each other, they touch each other, you know, embracing or or you know, shaking hands or different things, joking. They they have intimate conversations. They lie down at night and you know, camp out together, sleep together, they asana, they sit together in, in many different situations. They take their meals together. So in every sense, there was this intimacy between Krishna and the Pandavas. So that's what the idea is here. So I guess maybe I'll stop there today. Hope you got your money's worth, whatever costs you for the electricity your battery. And um, so now let's see if there are any questions. Apparently there are. Uh, Oh, hey, April. Um, Let's see. Thank you. I'm reading all your names. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, Appreciate it. Let's see, just seeing everybody's names. Good morning, Krishna Priya. Let's see. Stuart. Uh, oh, 
Shama Sundar from the UK. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for putting your spiritual name in. Shama Sundar Das. Um, in the verse, in the verse, Bhaktaran Yagyata Pasang. Oh, Bhaktaran Yagyata Pasang. Krishna says he's the Lord of everything, well wisher of everyone. Does Yagya Tapasang mean Krishna enjoys everything everyone does? Bhaktaran Yagya Tapasang. No, uh, he says he means he's the enjoyer of all the sacrifices people offer and the austerities. Now, also translating the word Bhaktaram, it's actually the word Bhakta. It, uh, this is just the, um, or actually, this is the accusative, it's the object of the verb gyatwa, knowing me, knowing me is bhokta, so therefore it becomes bhoktaram. But um, we translate it as enjoyer, and that is one of the meanings, but it, it's it's more than that. It's not that Krishna, like we're doing austerities, and Krishna is just enjoying them. That's not exactly. So I'm going to uh, go to this word here. You get an idea. So, bhokta can mean one who enjoys or eats. Like, for example, the food that has not been offered is called uh, boga from the same root. And bojana means food. So, it, it's from the same root. Uh, bhokta, bojanam means food. And so, it can mean one who enjoys or eats, an enjoyer, or one who experiences, one who feels. It can mean a uh, a possessor, a ruler of a land, a king or prince. So it's often said in the Mahabharata, for example, or the Bhagavatam, that someone became the bhokta of a, like a, of a kingdom or bhu, bhu bhokta. They became the uh, the enjoyer, the king of the earth. It can mean a husband. So it has all these meanings. So looking at going back to. Uh, the verse, Bhaktaram it means that Krishna is, enjoys our austerities and sacrifices in the sense that he's pleased by our sincerity. It's not that we're just like slaves uh, and we're suffering, he's enjoying. It's that Krishna is pleased to see us take spiritual life seriously. And so in that sense, he's the enjoyer. So, um, what else we got here? Oh, again, uh, are there any descriptions of what a Pandava-style chariot looked like? Was it four-wheeled or two, for example? A uh, good question. I don't remember, but next time I read the Mahabharata, I'll I'll look for that. Uh, but we do know there were different numbers of horses. Another one. How many different versions of the Sanskrit stream of Bhaktam are there? Only one, really. A few words here and there. There may be a synonym, but basically nothing significant. So, uh, Kamalakshi. How to tell the difference between genuine spiritual emotions and material-covered sentiments? That's a good question. Um... And some people couldn't tell the difference. I'll give you an example of some people that couldn't tell the difference. Um, 
we've seen people in Krishna consciousness who appear to be strong, appear to be enthusiastic. And then, as they say, one fine day, Umbelogia, one fine day, they leave. And it's just like, wow, how, this person really seemed to be Krishna conscious or at least enthusiastic, did a lot of service, and they just left. And, and perhaps the most startling thing is they left with no regrets. Like, I've had it. I don't want any of this. What's going on there? In fact, uh, the person asked this question, just gave me, told me a, a case in, in the country she lives in about someone who was so-called big devotee and then just flipped and became the opposite, enemy of the movement. Um, it's because people, some people, don't have the ability to distinguish genuine spiritual emotions. So, for example, I've said this many times, but ISKCON is a spiritual society, or just as a society, like any society, rewards certain behavior and punishes certain behavior. For example, if you, let's say... Do a lot of service. Oh, whoops. Sorry. If you do a lot of service, and um, naturally the devotees praise you, they're grateful, and they want to encourage other people to do that service. They say, yeah, this is really, this is a good devotee. This lady or this man is really doing nice service. And uh, so every society holds up role models. And every society encourages service to the society, devotion, dedication, by rewarding in various ways, by titles, by, I don't know, first in line for Mahaprasadam. You know, maybe you get special privileges, like you get to give class or all kinds of things. And every society has to, really is forced to stigmatize or criticize or discourage, really, the key word is discourage, uh, behavior that's just dangerous to or unfavorable to the society. Like, let's say, for example, someone is a devotee in good standing or even maybe a leader, and they do something really bad, like, let's say, sexual abuse, which I don't think happens very often, but... But it can happen, let's say, sexual abuse or, or, or stealing money or whatever, or just uh, all kinds of things, not following the principle. So if the society does not sort of stigmatize in some way that behavior, then the society sends the message that, well, that's all right. You can do that and nothing bad happens to you. So if you're a devotee in good standing in ISKCON or even a leader, you can do weird things and nothing will happen to you. For example, a lot of people, if they knew that you can go into a bank and rob it and you won't be punished for that, the police won't come, you won't go to jail, guess what happens next? So, but because every society, in order to um, reinforce its positive values and also reinforce its prohibitions or or to really clearly communicate, powerfully communicate uh, that certain behaviors are not good or not acceptable. Every society rewards and punishes different kinds of behavior. Here's the problem. People who, let's say, have strong material desires, they want the rewards and they want to avoid the punishments or the 
stigma or just, you know, the some unclean substance hitting the fan. So, therefore, there are people, and we've all seen this, there are so-called devotees who are attached to the rewards. Some people will actually stay for years in a spiritual movement or religion, say, say ISKCON or some other religion, uh, because they're feeding, they're feeding off the rewards. That's their fuel. They're, that's where they're, you know, because I like being here because people respect me and I have a position and they're not really getting a taste. They're not, you know, we assume, oh, this person is here because he or she is Krishna conscious or is attached to Krishna or is a devotee. When in fact, the person is just in a sort of a comfort zone, staying in ISKCON as a path of least resistance. I get rewards here that I wouldn't have outside. We see sometimes devotees with high positions, they go out into the material world and they end up driving, you know, let's say in occupations which are not considered very high class, which means they were kind of ISKCON overachievers. So, but then at a certain point, a person may decide, I don't need those rewards anymore, or I have rewards available somewhere else, or it's just not worth it, or I don't care about those rewards. And then suddenly they just disappear. Why? Because their attachment was not to Krishna. It was not to Prabhupada. It was to their situation and the stuff they were getting, materially or psychologically. If you've been in this con for a while, and you have some position, and let's say you're not, you know, you're not completely incompetent. You may get a car and a place to live, and you get food, and life is easy. Like, I don't want to get a real job. And it's just being in the Hare Krishna movement is a path of least resistance, and a person may not even admit that to themselves. It's not that, you know, some people probably are calculating scheming but a lot of these people they actually believe that i'm really a good devotee and in other words it's for social psychology everyone around me respects me or treats me like i'm a senior respectable or important person sure i'll go with that i'm just gonna totally buy into that description of myself and so then so getting back to kamalashi's question how to tell the difference between genuine spiritual emotions and material covered sentiments? Well, one answer, and it's not the only answer, but one answer is if you are facing difficulties and everyone doesn't admire and respect you and you're not getting material rewards and life is, life is hard, but you remain a devotee, you stay with Krishna, that means that it's very likely you're a real devotee. And also, I should add, uh, we have to have a certain minimum amount of honesty with ourselves. Like maybe, okay, I don't want to be humiliated, so if I have some problem, I'm not going to go talking about it to other people because people may say, no, you can reveal your mind to me. But, I mean, there are some people we can reveal our minds to, but it's not always a, a big number. And it's not always everyone that claims to be our friend. 
So anyway, um, I think just staying with Krishna, being honest about, if we're honest about our own problems, honest about our doubts, about our weaknesses, about our bad habits, we're honest about that, but we are sincerely trying to be Krishna conscious. And that desire to be Krishna conscious is not a desire to have some position in ISKCON. It's not a desire that everyone like me. It's it's really just a desire to love Krishna. That I know that that's who I really am. I really am a lover of Krishna. And I really want to serve Krishna. I'm not completely there now. Life is difficult. It's Kali Yuga. But that's what I really, in the deepest part of my heart, that's what I really want. And so despite all the troubles, I keep trying. That's what the Bhagavatam says, actually. Despite all the troubles of this world, and troubles which ultimately we brought on ourselves, vipakam. that's what the Bhagavatam says, troubles that we brought on ourselves. If despite all this, I keep bowing down to Krishna, I keep, uh, as the Christians would say, witnessing, I keep declaring to myself and to anyone who wants to know that Krishna really is everything for me. And Hridvag Vapur Beer. So in my heart, with my words, and I even physically bow down to Krishna and Mukti Padesadayava. So one a person who despite a lot of trouble in this world by my previous activities, but if I keep trying to surrender, then the Bhagavatam says, you have a right to liberation. It has become your inheritance your rightful legal inheritance. So that's what I would say in answer to that question. Leelakar, um, the question is in relation to the mentioning of Yuyutsu in text number nine. We can understand that Yuyutsu is one of the sons of Dhritarashtra. What would be the, what would the breakdown definition of the different components of the word Yuyutsu or Yuyutsu be? Yuyutsu just means one who wants to fight. The one who's eager to fight. And uh, of is just a plural of that word. So, uh, Ikshwaku. Uh, no. Anyway. Por un lado entendemos. Okay, from Spanish. I'll translate from Spanish. On the one hand, we understand that Krishna is the supreme controller and he is the uh, most, he's the wisest, most just person and that he wants the best for everyone. But on the other hand, we see that in our daily life, uh, things happen that uh, outrageous things happen. Uh, uh, that cause suffering and uh, too many living entities. So outrageous Things happen that cause suffering to many living entities. Wars, uh, torture, uh, uh, raping children, indescribable cruelty toward animals, etc., etc., etc. But all this is permitted and sanctioned by Krishna. Por lo que en contexto absoluto es lo Therefore, in the absolute context, it is correct. And the rest of it didn't make it because this question was too long. Uh, that's the problem of evil, theodicy. 
and I've discussed this many times. I've gone into great detail uh, explaining how we re- uh, these things. So maybe you can uh, find those lectures because I have explained these things a lot. Answer that question. So agape sante. Uh, Gandhari is famous for how pious and chaste she was. One of her praised acts was her blindfolding herself due to her blind husband. How relevant is an expectation of wives to stay lower than their husbands today, since we are all quote lower than sudras, less memory, intelligence, spiritual standards? Have men deteriorated, making a practice like this outdated? Okay, first of all. Uh, I'm not sure this actually happened. Uh, what we see is that, about Gandhari, that Acharyas often disagree on details of Leela that's not considered offensive to discuss Leela details. This is not philosophy. And so uh, I'm not claiming to be a great Acharya, but the Bhagavatam doesn't mention this. Thank God. I mean, I never liked this story. I never thought, wow, Gandhari is so great. I always thought, oh my God. Uh, that's just me. So, uh, the Bhagavatam does not say that Gandhari did this. Uh, to me, the idea of, of, of someone blinding themselves, even if through a blindfold, the idea of someone blinding themselves is just something I, uh, I really prefer that people show their piety in less, in other ways. That's just me. Uh, no, a woman should not always stay lower than her husband. A woman, no, that's, to me, that's absurd. Uh, you know, in a marriage, a man or a woman, you can't lord it over your partner. You can't go around saying to your partner, you know, I really cook better than you. Did you notice that? Or I'm really a better devotee than you are. I mean, obviously, if you want to have a successful marriage, you don't go around trumpeting. You don't go around telling your partner, all the ways in which I'm better than you. So that's just like being civilized and not being a fool. For We see many marriages where the woman is a better devotee than the man. So if the woman is not supposed to be better, should she, I don't know, go have a hamburger or something just to show that she's not a better devotee? So to me, this is silly. A woman or a man should not lord it over their spouse or always remind their spouse how I'm better than you. That's obviously stupid if you want to keep your marriage going. But uh, to say that women always have to be lower than men, no, that's crazy. Uh, In fact, if a man is not an envious fool, uh, he'll be very happy and proud to see that his wife has abilities. Good husbands take pleasure in their wives' achievements. Because, I mean, this can be carried to, you know, absurd extremes. The wife chants 16 rounds, her husband doesn't. Should she stop? The wife is a good cook and her husband isn't. Should she, uh, you know, cook? Should she burn the food? If a, if a woman is a scholar and her husband isn't, she should, should she pretend she's, she's just like not very intelligent? To me, this is all silly. I think in a good marriage, the husband and the wife are the strong well-wishers of the other. They're cheering their partner on. They take great pleasure in the achievements of their spouse. To me, that's what mature human beings do. So uh, how academically did Srila Prabhupada study Sanskrit? Uh, Not very much. 
he he learned it in school when he was doing this teach Sanskrit and I don't know if he studied beyond that. So uh Claudia Monteagudo was just uh sorry, it's not me. I'm innocent. This thing keeps skipping all over. Imperfect technology. Okay. And and Ananda Leela, if I skip a question, I apologize. Sometimes it seems like I'm not answering your questions because I really don't see them because this program, I'm on a program called StreamYard. And when new questions come in, it just like jumps all over the place and I have to try to find out where I was. So if I'm not answering your question, uh, that's the reason. But Ananda Leela, please tell me if I skip something. How can we be sure of a good or bad association? In real life, we find a lot of uh, officina people. I'm not sure what that was supposed to be. It was, you know, autocorrect. In our way, family, friends, and work with good and bad qualities. Uh, you're intelligent. Just, just, you know, we have to, you know, we have to be able to judge things. It's just like we eat healthy food and not junk food, hopefully. So, um, you should not, how should I put it? You should reveal yourself to people. You should accept a certain degree of intimacy with people as they show themselves to be deserving of that. And if they show themselves undeserving, we have to take a step back. So this is what it means to be an intelligent, mature person. You have to know what the appropriate distance is from different people. Some people, you can only love them at a distance. Some people prove themselves to be true friends and we can have intimate relationships with them and they will not betray us. They will not uh, stab us in the back or they just won't fail to reciprocate with our trust. Relationships have to be kept reciprocal. Krishna himself says this in Bhagavad Gita, that I reciprocate. So if it's good, good enough for God, it's good enough for you. And so that requires intelligence and not jumping ahead. In other words, if someone has not proven themselves to you, don't jump ahead and just sort of lavish intimate affection on someone. Uh, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And if someone does prove your, themselves to be a good friend, don't neglect them. So... Um, Let's see. Thank you all for listening. I'm seeing your names. I feel like, you know, saying hello to everybody, but there's just a lot of names. Um, oh, from Davila, who just hosted me in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It is described that everything was very peaceful, but after the war, wouldn't there be many royal families having ill feelings towards the Pandavas after having many family members killed? Yes, especially the one place that really stands out is uh, Sindhu in what is now uh, southern Pakistan. Um, because Krishna, because Arjuna killed Jayadratha. So when he, that was Jayadratha's kingdom. So, but that ended peacefully because of Dushala. So, um, yes, there were, but the Pandavas were so powerful that no one, you know, if you didn't like the Pandavas, you just had to smile anyway. So it was peaceful. Not because everyone loved the outcome of the war, but because there was absolutely no other option available to them, which is the second best situation. 
First best is everyone loved the Pandavas. Second best, you don't love the Pandavas, but you keep your mouth shut. And that's also good for world peace. Uh, let's see. Seeing how once we hear of Krishna, part of us can't forget him. Well, that is one, if you once hear of Krishna and you're sincere and you respond, then it grows and grows. And eventually that part of us dominates our time. The Atma rises and the false ego wanes. Isn't it? Yes, it is. So, Kamalakshi, how to, how to do this examination in oneself? regarding genuine spiritual emotions without mixing it with the material world in order to stay sincere. Well, uh, self-honesty requires us not to be too proud because if I am, because we could just say, what is it that stops us? What stops us from being honest with ourselves? One thing, pride. For example, I actually have some things I need to work on but I don't admit it to myself because I am, to use the expression, full of myself. And therefore, I'm too proud to really admit my problems. Or you can go on the other side. You can be too down on yourself. You can be ungenerous with yourself and exaggerate your own bad qualities. And that can discourage you so much that you don't want to practice bhakti yoga. So uh, we should not be shameless and we should not be uh, too self-hating. It, it, it so to be a good devotee also requires some psychological balance and stability. And so if we give ourselves a certain amount of generosity because it's a tough age, it's Kali Yuga, it's not easy, but at the same time, so I would say be generous with yourself, but don't be shameless and don't be sinful. And if we do that, then we can look at ourselves, hopefully, with honesty. Hare Krishna. To Dr. Elizabeth Radhika Devi Dasi. So, uh, oops, it jumped again. Okay, I'm back now. Uh, uh, next question about jujitsu, because Sanskrit, because the, the part of India closest to Japan is East India, and in East India, they pronounce yutsu jujitsu. So did that influence the word jujitsu? We'll have to look it up, but it's an interesting comparison. So, thank you, Agape. Um, let's see. Bharata uh, Das from Israel. Bharata Das. Why does... Uh, Shalom Aleichem. Um, why does Duryodhana... Why is Duryodhana sometimes called Suyodhana in the Bhagavatam? It's one of those funny things in Sanskrit. Su is the opposite of Dur. So, so Suyodhana means a good fighter. Duryodhana, Yodhana is fighter. So it can be taken in two ways. Duryodhana can mean like a dirty fighter, which would fit. Or Duryodhana could mean someone whom it is hard to fight with. So if you take Duryodhana as one with whom it's hard to fight, then Suyodhana, which means good fighter, would be compatible with that interpretation. Uh, 
Oh, hello to everybody in San Diego. So that's it. I answer all the questions. If I didn't answer all the questions, someone needs to tell me right away. So I will just pause for a second. And if your question wasn't answered, please do something, you know, send a note or above. Okay, one second. <laughs> Not Leela on the job again. Let's see. Uh, Okay, sorry, I missed your question. This is Anthony Myers. Are those not in the presence of Sri Krishna 5,000 years ago missing out in any way? Uh, well, on the one hand, I don't want to say you can not be in Krishna's presence and you lose nothing. But at the same time, by the mercy of Prabhupada, uh, you're in the game. So if you continue, if you devote yourself to Krishna consciousness, you will be with Krishna and you will have all the happiness of being with Krishna. So if you are missing something, you'll get it anyway if you just devote yourself to serving Prabhupada's mission. So I think now I've finished. Thank you all very much. I really have to go because it's a travel day. I'm going one hour. Whoops, one more question. I need to be paid a lot of money for this. Okay. I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm not trying to get your money. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Manu, is there a good history of religion I could study? Yeah, there's probably dozens and dozens of them. What I would suggest, two things. Number one, find a history of religion that's written by a recognized scholar, someone who studied as a doctorate at a, a respected university, not some weird online university that no one's ever heard of. And uh, I would read a few pages on Amazon. I hate to endorse Amazon because they're in their own way causing so much harm in the world. But um, on their uh, site, you can read a few pages of the book. So I would say two things. Find a book on history of religion that's written by a, a serious recognized scholar. Read a little bit of it first at the bookstore or online and make sure... It's not some stupid Marxist or, you know, or feminist or fascist. In other words, make sure it's actually history and not just some extremist fool, you know, trying to push his or her ideology in the name of history. So if it's a neutral history and it's written by a recognized scholar, it's probably very good and you'll get a lot of information. So thank you very much. And uh, for those of you who have Facebook, uh, we will, I'll be doing another little program and I guess about an hour and 20 minutes or so. If you don't have Facebook or prefer not to be on Facebook for obviously very good reasons, then uh, it'll soon be on YouTube by the grace of Ananda Leela. So thank you all very much. Uh, it was fun being able to have class with you and hope we'll see you again soon. Hare Krishna.